Welcome to Murder, Mystery, and More. This is episode 25. True Crime Tuesday, The Cosa Nostra Families The Costa Nostra is also known as the Sicilian Mafia or just the Mafia. It is a criminal society originating in Sicily and dating back to the 19th century. It is an association of gangs which sell their protection and arbitration services under a common brand. It's considered the second most powerful criminal organization in Italy. La Costa Nostra is the longest-lived and most successful organized crime organization in the United States. Each family is headed by a boss or a don, also known as a godfather. He's the undisputed leader of the organization. The boss exercises nearly absolute authority over the family and receives a share of his subordinates' revenues, overseas payoffs to politicians, police, and other officials. It takes care of families of the imprisoned and sometimes the deceased members. Reality often differed. Imprisoned family members were frequently not provided for adequately, if at all. Ambitious subordinates disagreed with bosses' policies or appointments and otherwise felt mistreated or disrespected. The boss appoints this leadership team without the need for advice and consent, but subordinates' approval or at least respect for the underboss. Consigliere and capos is important. Each family has an underboss, consigliere, and several capos. The Don's counselor and advisor is called the Consiglierly. He is a trusted friend and confidant who is usually the number three man in the family. The underboss is a powerful second in command. The underboss could be a son or family member who is then groomed to take over the family business one day. Next in line is the Capo. The Capo or Capos lead a crew of soldiers. Similar to a military captain who leads soldiers. The soldiers are also known as made men soldiers. Good fellows or wise guys. They are the lowest members of the family but still command respect in the organization. An individual must be invited to become a made member. Almost always after years of being associated with the family. To become made, they are required to take an oath of silence also called the omerta. In some families, they are also required to commit murder. Last is the associates. They are part of the crew, but have not been made and commits crimes under the protection of made members and gives a share of his proceeds to his direct made superior. Associates do not need to be Italian. In 1998, estimate of the size and composition of New York's Genovese family calculated that there were four or five associates for every made member, of whom there were approximately 250 associates. La Cosa Nostra members and associates function as criminal entrepreneurs. 
seeking out profitable legal and illegal opportunities. Even the legal opportunities are run in illegal ways. Members and associates must share revenues with the family's leaders, but there are fixed percentages. Besides the payments to Capos, consigliere, underbosses, and bosses are negotiated per individual. And of course, any subordinate suspected of cheating the boss can be assaulted or killed. Since the 1930s, at least 24 Italian-American crime families have operated independently. Each family with their own exclusive jurisdiction within its own geographic area, except in New York City, where five families work. The Bonanno, Colombo, Cabino, Genovese, and Lucis families. Each family chooses its own leaders, members, and associates, launches and conducts its own criminal enterprises, and pays out the revenues. Joseph Bonanno is a retired Bonanno family boss and claimed in his autobiography that the families were governed by a nationwide La Cosa Nostra commission established in the 1930s by Charles Luciano. La Costa Nostra family's success over much of the 20th century results from seeking out, developing, and exploiting a range of criminal and non-criminal opportunities. Some included the corruption of national and local labor unions, creation and enforcement of employer cartels, supplying illicit good, goods and services, and carrying out thefts, hijackings, frauds, and arson. At the same time, members often own and sometimes run legitimate businesses such as clubs, restaurants, trucking companies, linen suppliers, concrete plants, and routinely violate antitrust, tax, and other laws. La Cosa Nostra's footholds in both the criminal underworld and the world of legitimate businesses, unions, and politics distinguish it from other organized crime groups active in the U.S. black markets. Infiltration of unions began in the 1910s and the 1920s when companies recruited gangsters to break strikes and unions recruited them to break the strikers. With a foot in the door, organized crime families took over unions by replacing their officers by force or election. La Cosa Nostra crime families also used their union power to acquire ownership interests in businesses. A business could not operate if the union would not allow its members to work for it. They could easily put an employer out of business or take ownership interests. They controlled which businesses could operate in a particular sector. They were able to establish employer associations or cartels in waste hauling, construction, seaboard, and air cargo, the cartels set prices and decided which companies could bid on contracts and how much they could bid. For decades, La Cosa Nostra wielded significant influence in the International Longshoremen's Association of Laborers Union, the Hotel Employees and Restaurant Employees Union, and the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Beginning in the 1950s, 
Costa Nostra's influence on the International Longshoremen's Union enabled the Gambino, Brooklyn and New Jersey, and the Genovese, Manhattan families to exploit many of the port's operations. Costa Nostra determined who worked on the docks and decided when cargo ships would be unloaded. They solicited bribes from or extorted shippers by determining which cargo was loaded and loaded and when. Costa Nostra wielded extraordinary influence on the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. It was the nation's largest private sector labor union with 2.3 million members at its height. Jimmy Hoffa attained the presidency with the assistance of Cosa Nostra and in return deferred to their wishes. However, Hoffa was convicted of jury tampering, attempted bribery, and fraud and was sent to prison in 1967. Frank Fitzsimmons served as acting president. President Richard Nixon pardoned Hoffa in December of 1971 on condition that he not participate in union activities. Hoffa immediately repudiated that condition and sought to regain his old position. Cosa Nostra bosses, however, liked Fitzsimmons running it more and after warning Hoffa to desist, they supposedly assassinated him. But Cosa Nostra's influence in the Laborers' International Union of North America guaranteed a powerful presence in the construction industries in many cities. John Cody, Teamsters, Ralph Scopo, Laborers, Albert Anatasio and Anthony Scotto, Longshoremen, and Harry Davidoff, Teamsters, were among the most powerful New York City labor figures in the second half of the 20th century. Red Dorfman was president of Chicago's Waste Handlers Union and a key figure in Chicago's outfit. Murray Humphreys, another top outfit figure, though not a union official himself, wielded enormous influence over several Chicago unions. As joint employer union pension and welfare funds grew, the Cosa Nostra members and associates, serving as fund trustees, treated the funds as piggy banks. The most notorious example was the Chicago, Kansas City, Milwaukee, and Cleveland bosses' exploitation of a massive Teamsters Central States Pension and Welfare Fund. From the early 20th century, New York City mobsters exerted strong influence in the construction industry, the garment center, the Fulton fish market, and the sea cargo operations in the port of New York and New Jersey. From the 1950s to the 1990s, based on their influence in unions, the New York City Cosa Nostra families were deeply entrenched in the Javits Exhibition Center, the JFK Airport Air Cargo Operations, and then the Commercial Waste Hauling and Disposal. They were also involved in moving and storage, securities, linen supplies, food processing, importation, and retail distribution. The Genovese, Gambino, Colombo, and Lucci's family made millions from a monopoly over window replacement in all public housing and much private housing in New York City. 
the Gayabito family boss, Paul Castellano, would dial meat purveyors. They distributed poultry to 300 butchers, grocers, and supermarkets in the New York City metropolitan area and ultimately to two national supermarket chains. Chicken magnate Frank Perdue found that getting supermarkets to purchase his chickens required paying off. Small butchers could not obtain poultry from anyone other than the dial. If a business complained, Castellano orchestrated union problems. Control of a union allowed La Costa Nostra to determine which companies could do business in a sector whose workers that union represented. The cartels allocated contracts and fixed prices. They inflated prices, in effect imposing a cartel tax or a mob tax. Businesses that were not members could not get union labor nor operate with non-union labor. A business that tried to operate with non-union labor would be picketed, disrupted, and ultimately shut down. La Costa Nostra members and associates have, since at least National Alcohol Prohibition in 1919-33, provided illegal goods and services including gambling, loan sharking, prostitution, pornography, and drugs. Gambling has always been an important source of revenue for La Cosa Nostra families. The families thrived on bookmaking for numbers, horse races, and sporting events. Some of the mid-century titans of organized crime, such as Frank Costello, became rich via slot machines and other gambling rackets. Las Vegas' development as a gambling mecca is a critical chapter in La Cosa Nostra's history. With financial backing from Mayor Lansky, Frank Costello, Bugsy Siegel, and Cosa Nostra figures projected its influence in Las Vegas, just as they had previously done in Havana. Organized crime financing Siegel built the Flamingo, the first huge Las Vegas casino hotel. Over time, Cosa Nostra bosses obtained ownership interests in many Las Vegas hotels and casinos. At one point, the Teamsters Central States pension lent approximately a quarter of a billion dollars secured by mortgages on all those properties. Even more important than mob ownership of the casinos was control over their operation. This enabled the bosses to skim money, thereby avoid taxes. In 1986, with the aid of testimony from Angelo Leonardo, Cleveland underboss-turned-government witness, federal prosecutors convicted a number of those involved in the skimming. Loan sharking involved loans backed up by intimidation and threats of force to obtain repayment. Organized crime members loaned money to their own associates, gamblers, and individuals who could not or would not obtain bank loans. Interest rates ranged as high as 250 to 1,000 percent. In 1936, Lucky Luciano and several co-defendants targeted by investigators for their effort to centralize control of the New York City brothels were successfully prosecuted for 62 counts of compulsory prostitution. By the 1970s and the 1980s, the families had largely ceased to operate brothels 
although some organized crime figures continue to extort protection payoffs from independent brothel owners. A mobster affiliated with the Colombo family financed the breakout 1972 porn movie Deep Throat. The Bonanno family's Mickey Zaffirano owned Pussycat Cinemas, a chain of movie theaters that specialized in porn. Italian-American organized crime figures have been heavily involved in drug trafficking since the early 20th century. Lucky Luciano was arrested for transporting heroin. Vito Genovese, boss of bosses in the late 1950s, was ultimately convicted of drug trafficking. The infamous French Connection case revealed Lucia's family dominance and Bonanno family involvement in the imported heroin from France to New York City's in the 1950s. La Cosa Nostra families did not and do not limit themselves to activities stereotypically associated with organized crime. They also sponsor and engage in garden variety crimes. Members engaged in all manner of crimes, for example, because of its entrenched position on the waterfront in the construction industry and through its influence over cargo operations at the Kennedy Airport, La Cosa Nostra families and associates carried out truck hijacking and other thefts. Thefts of equipment and materials were so predictable on some construction projects that contractors incorporated the anticipated losses into their bids. Sometimes contractors repurchased their own stolen equipment from the thieves. Sometimes La Cosa Nostra destroyed materials and equipment to generate more business for their suppliers and construction companies. La Cosa Nostra members did and do perpetrate in all kinds of frauds. They have sold shares in sham corporations, counterfeited stock certificates, and controlled small brokerage houses that raised money from unsuspecting investors. Thefts by Joey Francis, whose uncle was a member of the Colombo family and he was a Dean Winter employee, created phony accounts on which he wrote checks to himself. Bankruptcy fraud has long been popular with the soldiers and associates. They take over a legitimate company, loot its assets, leaving creditors high and dry. A variation involves creating a company for the purpose of bankrupting it. La Cosa Nostra's power derives from its reputation for ruthless violence. It is testimony against the Gambino family boss, John Gotti. Sammy Gravano explained that murder is employed as a tool for maintaining family discipline. Gravano admitted to participating in 19 murders. Gotti was convicted of murdering Paul Castiano and several of Castiano's henchmen. Cosa Nostra bosses have functioned as fixers for whom businesses, politicians, criminals reach out to resolve disputes with labor organizations, law enforcement agencies, and government regulators. They sometimes played a stabilizing role in what would otherwise have been a chaotic black market. However, in order to advance their interests, organized crime bosses routinely corrupted local politicians. In many cities, 
Costa Nostra bribed police to turn a blind eye to gambling and other black market activities. In addition, organized crime bosses functioned as power brokers supporting and promoting their favored political candidates with funds and get-out-of-the-vote assistance. In return, politicians gave the Costa Cosa Nostra protection from apprehensive and prosecution. Cosa Nostra also benefited from corrupt contract letting and land deals. Matteo Messina Denaro, the last great Sicilian mafioso, had been on the run for 30 years. He was considered a boss of bosses. He is the great obsession with the magistrates and police in Italy. Lucida Denaro, also named El Seco or Diabolic, had been a ghost since he disappeared in 1993 after a vacation in Tuscany where accusations and convictions for crimes of the Mafia Association's attacks, robberies, possession of explosives, or 50 homicides had already weighed on him, including that of a 13-year-old boy, the son of a mobster, who was dissolved in nitric acid after a 779-day kidnapping to prevent his father from collaborating with the justice. He had lived completely submerged and had a daughter that was born in 1996 that he had never visited. In town, where the couple had given orders that merchants not be extorted, Yet, no one dares pronounce those three words that articulate his name out loud. Bernardo Provenzano was head of the Costa Nostra from 95 to 2006 when he was arrested after 43 years on the run. The police had not seen Mateo since 1988 when he was questioned as a witness at the police station and he claimed that he was just a simple farmer. He told them he had fun with his work that he had nothing to do with the Mafia. It was the last time the police had contact with him. There were no photos or fingerprints. Italian authorities arrested Italy's most wanted fugitive Monday, January 16, 2023, taking Mafia boss Matteo Messino Denaro into custody after a 30-year manhunt. Messino Denaro's arrest brings to a close the era of the Cosa Nostra Sicilian Crime Syndicate. The 60-year-old fugitive was caught in a health care facility in Palermo where he had gone for therapeutic treatment for colon cancer. Thank you for listening to this episode of Murder, Mystery, and More. Please make sure to follow or subscribe so you do not miss the next episode.